G'day and welcome to a special edition of the Green and Gold Rugby podcast. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world of Australian rugby right now. <laughs> Not much of it is uh, very pleasant. So we thought we'd better get out there and uh, have a bit of a chat about it. Joining me today, I've got uh, Barbarian. Hugh, how are you, mate? Oh, look, I, um, oh, I don't know how I feel after all this. Gee, you know, I was so, yeah, I was pretty happy after that game. I was, you know, de- uh, this mix of happy and completely devastated after what happened. And then, and then with the news afterwards, well... That just soured any good feeling I, I would have had about Australia, uh, the Wallabies, and how they're going forward. So yeah. I think I might have to go back and watch the Super Rugby Grand Final a few more times just to make myself feel better. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that could be politically charged in itself. Um, also joining me, I've got uh, Cyclo. Dave, how are you, mate? I'm feeling thoroughly refreshed after a good cycle this morning to get all of the fog and crap out of my head from last night. Yeah, no, it, it was very foggy. I've got to say, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a body blow the way, you know, losing that test like that for a start. But then to see what happened afterwards uh, was just quite amazing. So maybe let's just backtrack a little bit uh, for anybody who has been, I don't know, locked in a cave um, or kidnapped by ISIS uh, for the last couple of weeks and wasn't aware of what's been going on in Australian rugby um, about... And you guys jump in if I'm, you know, if I'm missing any big bit, bit pieces here. Um, but uh, about a couple of weeks ago, it all kind of exploded onto the scene when we know there'd been a fracas between Kirtley Beale and a member of uh, the ARU staff, Di, Di Patson, on a plane somewhere between Africa and uh, Argentina. Uh, that all blew up. And then we had other th- fresh stories that came out of that, that actually there'd been a backstory between them months ago there had been some really quite offensive messages sent around from Kirtley Beale about Di Patson uh, that she'd got hold of. Subsequent to that, we found out that she then gave Kirtley a second chance and rather than reporting them straight away, held on to them. Uh, But as that unfolded, all other sorts of things happened. Um, So there was this viral email, which was just quite unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, that seemed to hit everybody's inbox um, and had all sorts of stuff in it, um, alleging all sorts of things. And, and then one of those allegations seemed to be a relationship between Patson and, and, and Mackenzie. Um, that went into the press. We also had people chasing down Patson's LinkedIn profile and saying it was cooked, cooked up and then the profile disappeared. So that went you know, into the story. Um, and then the whole thing just kind of rumbled on from there um, <clears throat> and just got, you know, crazier and crazier. Uh, we then got stories about Patsons and being, getting bitten by a spider. All sorts of things have been going throughout the last couple of weeks. It got to a point where Ewan McKenzie at a press conference had to deny that he was having an affair with Di Patson, um, which was, I thought, had been a low point <laughs> and then to, until we got to last night. And so then everybody was going in with, I think, great trepidation into last night's final Bledisloe Cup match, thinking we were going to get absolutely smashed. And what happened? The Wallabies came out, probably played the best rugby I think I've seen them play since, what, I don't know, 2011? Would you guys concur? Yeah, certainly oh, in parts I think they, they did. I mean, there were the, the, the speed of the play was, was excellent. They, they moved the, the All Blacks around, and it was interesting to watch the All Black defence getting a little bit uh, ropey, I guess, um, being having to realign quickly, and they were backpedalling a bit. So it was, it, was, it was interesting to see 
um, them under some pressure, although uh, Steve Hansen refused to credit any of the pressure to the Wallabies, said it was all just down to poor play by the All Blacks. Yes, it's the, um, it's the But, yeah, look, they, they did play some very good rugby, but they, yeah, they, they did get pretty rapey towards the end. I think they were all pretty much stuffed. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, the um, often seen capitulation... Yeah, I mean, it was tight to the end. So we, we, what we weren't going to do today is do a, a match review. Um, I think we're probably going to hold on to that until maybe later in, in, the, in the week because that could be a podcast in itself, I think. Um, so anyway, th- that's what happened. And then there's a shock uh, press. Well, there's a pr- always a presser, obviously, you know, after every match. But then we see on Twitter that this is going to be a special press uh, uh, presser. And I think everyone had a rumbling in their gut what it could only be about, right? Um, and at that press conference, they do all the normal stuff, and then Ewan McKenzie announces that he had resigned at 10 o'clock that morning. He'd sent an email to Bill Pulver uh, and, uh, you know, and, and thrown it in. And uh, it was quite, you know, that which was quite amazing. I think Bill Pulver fronted at that press conference, didn't he, Baba? Uh, yeah, after McKenzie mm-hmm. stood down, I'm pretty sure, yeah. And, yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and, and he made... Now, I... Only having free to air, I, obviously I didn't see it live. Um, I was having to follow it on Twitter, which was torture in itself. Um, but one of the things it sounded like was that uh, Pulver was had a very unfortunate choice of words. I don't know if it was a miss; he misspoke. But he said that you know, uh, the, you know, the, he put the blame for a lot of what had happened actually over the last two weeks at the f- foot of the public. Um, and but then I think he clarified after that that actually by public he meant the press. Is that is that right, Hugh? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, that that was what happened. Yes. Okay. So anyway, and so it seems that it's quite clear in Bill Pulver's mind, at least, that uh, all of this problem is a fabrication from the media um, and, and 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 a beat up. So and and then basically that was it, and uh, we saw Mackenzie heart wrenching. F- Images of him walking off down the corridor, um, leaving behind what you know I think was obviously going to be his dream job. Uh, you know, in in uh, just before a spring tour and the year before a World Cup, um, and we thought that was well, that was it for last night. And then we've just now at eleven o'clock this morning uh, on Sunday had another press conference. Uh, I don't know, Hugh. Do you want to know what happened in that? Did you you saw that look, one live? Yeah, look, I think it, it was just a, a pretty regulation morning after press conference, uh, you know, to try and put on a bit of a more of a brave face. And Bill Pulver basically appearing to, with Hooper to say, "Look, we've got control of this. Uh, we're in the process of picking a coach. Hopefully, we can have one that's going to be on the plane on Friday." Uh, we were shocked about McKenzie, shocked as everyone else. Um, really, there wasn't anything new to come out in the press conference, but I don't think there ever was going to be anything. It's just one of those things just to, to try and move the narrative along a little bit and try and uh, make the focus on, on the new coach and the, and the, and the upcoming tour. Um, obviously, it's... I, I thought there were a couple of points, though, mm. which, which were not controversial, but maybe a little bit interesting. I mean, I think um, Pulver... You know, he came pretty much straight out off the bat and endorsed Michael Hooper as captain, which I suppose is expected. Um, that was pretty much the first thing he said. Uh, Hooper got asked very quickly about the whole issue of the playing group losing respect for Ewan McKenzie. 
And he kind of ducked it a bit with the first time he was asked, but the second time he asked, he just flat out said no, he didn't lose the respect of the playing group. Um, but he did look like he was ducking that one a little bit at first. Um, and then I think, you know, Paul Vaughan reiterated his distaste towards the media group, um, but less strongly. And when he was specifically asked about whether there needed to be a cultural change in, in, in the Wallabies, he said, well, no, not in the Wallabies, but I think it was a little bit pointed that there are maybe other aspects of Australian rugby where there needs to be some sorting out. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought the two interesting things for me was I, I didn't think Hooper's defensive link was particularly spirited. No, um, these not things at all. You, you, you can read a thousand ways into the things that people say and, and their body language at these press conferences. Not all of them are going to be right. Um, but I thought I was I was half expecting him to say we you know he never at any point said he, they didn't want Link to go. You know there was there was no where there was no element of frustration. There was no element of disappointment that that. That uh, Mackenzie resigned. It, it was more of a sort of resignation to going forward with a new coach. Uh, I yeah, don't know whether exactly. that is indicative of anything. But the other one was uh, Bill Pulver when he, he got asked a question about whether he could have given Ewan Mackenzie better support. Uh, and I think he he see he gave quite a heartfelt response to that. He said, you know, it's something he thought about a lot, and and uh, he made the point, which is a fair one, I think, that that uh, when Robbie Deans when he inherited the job and Robbie Deans hadn't had full control of his coaching staff of the appointments of, of the staff and the back office staff. And that was something that he uh, made a deliberate, sort of deliberately gave McKenzie all the control over his front and back office staff um, and really put the ball in his court. Um, and he, he's basically, I think he's quite, you know, he was quite shocked by this like everyone else and he tried to talk McKenzie out of it. Uh, I think it just showed a little bit of a crack in, in Pulver's, you know, normally kind of steely resolve that actually this, this has blindsided him a little bit, and, and he's trying to pick to put the pieces together like the rest of us are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th- I thought there was a quite, even though I was following the quotes on Twitter, I thought there was a very strong statement there about him trying to say, look, well, he said, I personally have not talked to any other coach, um, and I still haven't. So we've made a list of people we now want to talk to, but he now, and, and I don't know if this was a, you know, carefully chosen words or not, so who knows whether other people on the board or other intermediaries might have. But he was saying he has not been on the phone to either Michael Checker or... or yeah, or, well, and the question after that White. was, have, have any intermediaries done it? And he said no. Oh, okay, right. So, okay, they followed yep. that up. Good. Yeah. So, 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 did so, you see, Rod, there was a... Sorry, just to interrupt. There was, there was a little, another excerpt from Fox Sports with Rod for this morning who was absolutely adamant that they have spoken to Michael Checker. Yeah, uh, and oh. he, he, I'm not giving it credence, I'm just saying he was absolutely adamant they've spoken to Michael Checker and he expected Checker to be announced as coach possibly as early to, as today. So either he's just completely and utterly wrong or there's... I'm calling, I, I called shit on that. I, 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 <laughs> I, I thought I mean, you, no offense I thought to you Rod Kaper, would, I'm setting it up no, for I, you. <laughs> I, I trust Paul, but Paul was not going to lie about this. I mean, I... I I, I don't think there's anything in it now for him to lie about this and say. I mean, why would he? Why would he lie? There's no no reason not to. Um, I agree with you. I I, so, I, I just it was interesting that uh, Kafer was 100 percent adamant. Yeah. Well, I think there was a meeting earlier in the week between Pulver and Checker. I, I think it, you know they caught up for a coffee or something. But uh, you know, and that was where Brett Harris got his story uh, earlier in the week about Checker being sounded out. Um, but uh, I think Pulver seems to say that we were just having a coffee, and I think. The media are jumping at shadows and a lot of this stuff, and I think that was another example of it. Well, because I'm not quite sure how Pulver comes off on this. I mean, 
to say, you know, we've got until Friday to find our next coach, um, you know, is, isn't kind of a, a great space to be in. But look, let's let's talk about who the next coach is in a second because I, I think that's a bit of a fascinating discussion. Um, and maybe let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how what's gone on behind the scenes and how this has evolved. Um, I, I, I think this is something that will play out for months to come and we'll only... Years. You know, years probably right. I mean, It's going to be the autobiography wars. I can just see it coming oh, in yes. five to ten years' time. Exactly. Well, Link should have the first shot at that, so that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, Matt McElroy, step up, write, write the next coach's oh, biography. Oh, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually want to read this one. Um, so... Yeah, I, well, so maybe let's go back. I mean, because there's, there's a lot going on. I mean, we've all had our hands full just deleting stuff <laughs> in comments uh, on the, on the uh, front page and in the forum because people are understandably fairly hot under the collar here. Um, I, I, let me put a bit of a, I don't know, a, a view on it um, as far as how I understand, uh, you know, or how I read into, you know, I guess connecting some of the dots. Um, and it starts at going back a little bit and, and, and saying, let's first think about the Waratahs and how they did this season. And look, you know, hands up. Um, unfortunately, I think we've got three people on this podcast who support the Waratahs. Um, so you might say there's not a balanced viewpoint. But I think uh, everybody was uh, quite astounded about how well the Waratahs did, how emphatic that win was. So, And you've got to think about what that must mean to that Waratahs team. I mean, they must have really bonded this year. And the other bit is to understand, you know, Michael Checker has had a massive impact on that. I mean, clearly, you know, um, they were nowhere before and he's come along and it's completely changed. And if you talk to anybody who's involved with that setup, you know, they're very clear that, you know, Michael Checker, that these guys would run through walls for Michael Checker. So he gets very much into their heads um, and it becomes um, a very, very, very strong culture. And he's done it at other places as well. So, you know, that's very clear. There's a very, not only did the Waratahs do so well in the way they did things and the way they played, which was very distinctive, but there's a very, very strong culture there. So you take that and then you say these Waratahs who have just won, you know, Super Rugby so emphatically, they then go to a massive slug of them, by far the dominant slug from any, uh, from any province, then goes to the Wallabies. Um, the setup at the Wallabies, the AAU at the moment, I've got to say, look, I've been, you know, dealing with the AAU over a number of years now. And it used to be in the old days, that it was a bit, you know, fat cat and insular and a bit corporate. Now it's very threadbare. You talk to anybody, they have no money. So I was talking to some very senior staff just at the end of the week. They didn't even have travel to go to Brisbane. There's no travel budget. There's nothing. Um, they don't even get top seats anymore when they go along to the games. So, you know, that's just an example. But what I'm saying is, you know, things have been cut down. And part of the reason why Di Patson was there was that, you know, they'd got, you know, they'd gotten rid of the manager. They've gotten rid of the, um, the analyst, right? They've been cutting, been cutting salaries. And she was part, and that's where that McKenzie quote came from as far as the money that she had saved. Um, and that was her role in there. So, you then say, okay, so the, the Waratahs come to this come to this setup where it's a bit threadbare with Wallabies, and then Link makes an interesting selection decision, right? So he doesn't go with the Waratahs backline. Um, he actually moves Curtly Beal in. He, he doesn't go with the, the Waratahs halves combination, which is so important to it. And the Wallabies don't get the result um, in Sydney, okay? And you can imagine what what the what the Waratahs would have felt those Waratah players would have felt like about that. And then Link uh, drops right from the squad, Will Skelton, 
So Will Skelton, who was getting blooded against the French, is now completely back and playing NRC. So you can imagine that there must be a bit of a feeling that's starting to build here, okay? And then the world, and then they start seeing actually even worse results, right? And we start, um, you know, getting uh, getting pumped by the likes of uh, South Africa, and then the whole bill thing blows up. So I think without even me, I'm not even dropping any any not public information here, I don't think. If you just think about what that must, how that must look and be, and then you realise that, well, actually the captain is Michael Hooper and the vice-captain is Adam Ashley Cooper, who both come out of that Waratahs setup. There's a very interesting dynamic that's going on there. Um, and Ewan McKenzie is not Michael Checker, and he coaches in a very different way. It's very much about your own personal responsibility. You figure it out for yourself, you know, all, the, all this sort of stuff. It's not the Michael Checker going apeshit, at halftime and waving around the golf club and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, we've got two very different cultures and they're, and they're very much clashing. Um, and until last night, you know, the game plan wasn't working any, it wasn't working either. I've got to say last night was the closest to the Waratah game plan that I'd seen and look, and look how it went. So I think there's, there's a lot that's been going on there. I guess the other thing to throw in here then is then when the whole bill thing breaks and Kirtley Bill is obviously very tight and very key to the Waratahs and is very key to their plans going forward. Um, and I think a lot of the things that we're seeing, if I was Kirtley Bill or Kirtley Bill's manager, a lot of, you know, even if they haven't organised any of these things or haven't been involved with any of these things, like the email um, or, you know, like briefings and all sorts of things that's been going on um, or the, and, and the information that's been flowing, although the SMH has been happily quoting that it is from Beale and it is from Beale's manager, so which is quite bizarre. But, um, you know, even if they weren't behind all of that, that, you know, it would be a perfect strategy. How else do you save somebody who seems unsavable with the text that he's sent? Um, you've got to discredit the person who's uh, said that they've received them and, say, and try and prove some context that in some way it's justifiable. And then if you can actually then take out the decision makers like the, the, and McKenzie and everything else, who knows what might happen. And then the final thing you would do is you would drag out this situation as long as you can to make it as untenable as you can. And that's exactly what's happened. So I do know that it's been the bill camp, it's been reported in Fox Sports, I think, that, that set the date for this hearing as late as they could. So it was set, they set it for five o'clock this coming Friday, which was actually supposed to be an hour after the Wallabies flew out um, to, the, to the end of season tour. So they've dragged that out. I know the AOU wanted this thing done uh, more than a week ago. Um, so there's a, there's a very, and I, and I think is, I, I put these things out there and I, I, I don't think I'm the only one who's connected that, you know, that's connecting these dots. I think a lot of the people, a lot of our guys on the, on the forum and, and who visit uh, Green and Gold Rugby um, have as well. And it's generated a lot of feeling. Um, and I think the piece about that uh, press conference today that didn't stack up was if you took that press conference on face value, you'd be saying, oh, right, so there's nothing wrong, right? A apparently, you know, Link got all the support he needed. The player group isn't divided in any way. Um, and, and, you know, they, and they all have, you know, they had full respect in him, which makes you then think, so why the hell did he resign? Um, apart from some press speculation, which he feels was, is completely erroneous. You know, something doesn't stack up there. So, Hugh, is there, you got anything to... Does that yeah, represent look, the story I, as people are talking it? Yes, yes. I, I agree with parts of that. Not, hmm. not necessarily the bulk. I think, I think uh, so a few seeds were obviously pla were planted before this year. I think 
the change of the management structure obviously has had an impact. Going back to Dublin and before, whereas that's where it seems the first crack started to appear. Mm. Um, and Bob Edgerton, you know, has since gone and a few of these senior old heads. And that was the element of the Patston saga where the, where the, the press were probably right to have a bit of a probe as to whether the change of management structure had influenced the dynamic of the playing group. And I think that's still an issue that is yet to fully be resolved. And now that Mackenzie's gone, it, it throws it in a whole other light. Mm. Um, the two issues, that, the two sort of questions that I have is, the first thing is, I can, buy, I can buy the disillusionment narrative, I can buy losing the player group, but that performance... last night wasn't the performance of a playing group. That, that performance last night wasn't the performance of a divided group, you know? If you mm. take that on its own value, and in fact, that performance casts the season in a whole new light, in my eyes. Um, as Paul pointed out, he says, now you look back at that rugby championship season, and you take away that Auckland game, um, the season is now, every single game was, just, was, a, was a bloody close game. You know, we uh, maybe not on the scoreboard in South Africa, but again, that was close right until the last five minutes. So you take away that Auckland game, and all of a sudden the season looks really different. Well, and the Mendoza game. Uh, well, but well, the Mendoza game again was bloody close, and we had our excuses in that game. And look, let's not discuss that now. But the issue I have, the, so that's the first question. That's the first real weird point about this whole thing is because the okay if they got if the players got rolled but if we got rolled by 30 last night well you go well obviously there are big problems and I can understand McKenzie taking the action he did but the fact that we almost won I mean imagine if we'd won that game and it would have been a triumphant victory and then McKenzie would have come out and resigned I mean it would have been one of the most bizarre nights in Australian I mean it already was but mm. it would have made a bizarre night even more bizarre um, and so the second point I have is um, that's the first big question, and the second big question is, if if he why resign now? That that's my issue. Why? What happened at ten a.m. on Monday on Saturday morning? Surely, in the midst of this saga, the real low point was about a week ago. You know, that was the real where Mackenzie was getting it with both barrels from the media. Uh, there was a you know there was lots of those rumours flying around in the public sphere. Um, and then since then, it seems to my, to my, from my angle, to have calmed down a little bit. People focused on the test, Adam Ashley Cooper's 100th test. There were still issues with, you know, there were still a few articles about, about the whole saga, but really nothing that would, you know, there were no big front page spreads, no big we want Mackenzie out. It was pretty, you know, you thought he'd weathered the storm, or certainly the, the, the worst part of it. And so I'm just wondering, the big question is, what's happening in that last 48 hours before Saturday that's, that's made, that's, that's broken the camel's back? That, you know, because it seemed to me that McKenzie was 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 fine to that point. Well, it's, um, an inter- it's an interesting and question. And so to resign on the morning of mm. game day, the morning of game day, you know, probably our biggest game of the year, the before the game even, uh, the ten a.m. It, it's just it. There's just a big question mark there as to why that time, you know, with six day or you know a week before we left for the for the end of season trip to completely throw you know. Throw, throw in the towel at that point. Well, like the only thing... So, so speculation here, right? Because it's a very good question. Why the timing? Um, and he talked about the, you know, the respect, keeping the respect of the playing group is, you know, one thing that could... Pure speculation here that could do that is if the playing group has just said to him, you know, stuff your game plan, this is how we're going to play. 
Um, you know, it was a it was a, it was a very interesting. I mean, that was the Waratahs game plan last night, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, t- so, I tweeted yeah, at half time. I tweeted at half time. We're playing Waratah footy tonight. So, yeah. I but can I just jump in on that point? Uh, I just, it, I go back to what Hugh just said. I mean, it's at odds with this concept that the playing group are disjointed uh, and split by factions. If that's what they've decided to do, I mean. You know, it's all very well to say there's some sort of Machiavellian plot by Waratah's players or whatever else behind all this, and I'm not saying there are, but, you know, that's been thrown around a bit. But honestly, do a couple, do a handful of players, are they able to wield that much power in a squad of 30-odd players? And, and, and if they have decided unilaterally as a playing squad, we're going to play our way and not his way, why the hell would a disjointed squad all say, oh, yeah, we'll do that? I mean, I just, I don't buy it. I mean, it's there's there's things just aren't gelling with all that. Well, that yeah. says that. Well, that line of discussion says they're not disjointed. I mean, remember, yeah. it, it is the captain and the vice captain who would be in the faction. Um, and, no, no, but and, yeah, and, but, and, but and you've really. got the halves. So you know, as far as who's going to call the shots and the sort of game you're going to play, it's going to be those guys. But let's say they're together, like you say. I mean, that just says that actually what Ewan was saying was right. He he'd lost the group. He'd lost the dressing room. And they just said, "Look, mate, this is how we're going to play anyway." And and it, and that maybe it's big. It's then bigger than the tiles. Um, I think. And and look. And it, once you start to piece together that idea that it is the whole playing group, things like little things start to start to get meaning. And the one that I've just been thinking about now is is the fact that after generally every Wallaby game, especially one with a big milestone like Adam Ashley Cooper's hundredth Test, the players are pretty quick to get on Twitter after the game. Uh, well, not all of them, but certainly the ones that are more active, post a few photos, even if in a pretty devastating close loss, they'll say, thanks for the support, um, you know, or here's a photo from Adam Ashley Cooper, of a, of a, pre- a presentation of Adam Ashley Cooper's cap, or here's, you know, thank, yeah, exactly, well played to the All Blacks, yada, yada. Uh, as of yet, I've yet to see one Wallaby put out anything. Um, and in the context of Mackenzie resigning, you would have thought a thanks, you and Mackenzie, or... A you know thanks for your time or don't go link or geez you're a great bloke or anything there's been absolutely nothing it's been and Quaid who's you know links been Link's favourite son you know and rightfully so he, he hasn't put out anything either and he's you can't keep him away from that normally so it's it's been a an eerie silence mm. well maybe they've been I mean who knows maybe the ARU have said you know what. <laughs> You well, gagged. They've fi- gagged everyone. They've just said. They've said the, you, the whole lot of you shut up. Have finally grown I mean, a pair. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they have, but that's that's my issue. I mean, I don't. I don't. I know there's been a lot of chat about various people's p- possible roles in all this, and as Matt said, you know, it's involved a fair bit of moderation and deletion and stuff on the on the forum to avoid getting ourselves into trouble. But and I don't discount some of that might be true, but at the moment we can't. We can't validate any of it, um, and there are the, as you've just said, uh, there are just things that don't gel for me. That there's this, I said this last night. There's there's something else that I that we're, we're not all getting or we're not all seeing just yet. There's something else because it just it doesn't all quite fit together. The mm. timing, the reaction of the playing group, mm. yeah. But if yeah. but if you'd lost the playing group. Then you know you could you, you would totally understand that yes you? because you know you would be well what's the point in going to Europe and being <laughs> and following around a bunch of guys who you know aren't going to do it anyway um, I don't know or so if it isn't that right 
uh, and it's something else. I don't, you know, it's it's just hard to think that LinkedIn it, it has to be that. I mean, away. well, you go back to, I mean, the one article, the only article that's expressly attacked Link personally was written by Andrew Webster in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, oh, middle of the week, maybe Tuesday. Um, and he's not normally a rugby writer, but he's the senior, the senior writer. And I have a feeling that the Herald behind the scenes might have just seen the fact that some of them, especially Georgina Robertson, has been taking in, and Webster's kind of come in as the senior writer and tried to take a bit of ownership of their coverage of it. And he wrote an article that basically said that Beale is symptomatic of the problem, but Mackenzie is the cause of the problem. And he has in it some allegations there that uh, that some of the senior players are really disillusioned. And you go back; I went back and read that article again last night, and it puts it in a bit of a different light. That because I thought at the time that was scuttlebutt, and you've got to think they're Waratahs players talking. So, uh, you know, you think from a Sydney paper that that's a logical conclusion to make. But they basically said that a lot of senior players are are unsatisfied with with the change room, and that Patston. Di Patston was put there almost as a, as a as a sort of middleman between McKenzie and the playing squad. Now, again, that's a lot more scuttlebutt and and rumor and innuendo and unnamed sources, which has typified this whole saga. But yeah, I just think that's that's the most the more when you put that back in, and that seems to have t- grown in importance. That perspective that he had obviously lost lost a chunk of the, of the players. Mm. There's no other way to think about it. But So here's, here's the next question. I mean, is, I'd like to see what you guys think because I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in McKenzie um, about this. I obviously understand that he's endured some stuff from the media and I don't think the ARU have handled it spectacularly well. Um, but I would have thought that he'd have had the stomach for the fight a little bit more. And he was brought in with a mandate to change the culture of the team. And to have it his way, he could have a clean slate. He had his selectors, his managers, his coaches, his everything. And that's what Bill Pulver kind of was, I think, leaning towards in that last press conference. Um, the fact that he has thrown in the towel at a pretty critical juncture for Australian rugby uh, with six days before an end-of-season tour in before a World Cup year. Uh, I know he's been through a lot, and, and, and I can understand his reasons. I'm not, I'm not attacking him for doing so. But I just, I just had hoped that, that I, I thought he, he might have stood up and, and, and responded and really sort of you know, broken free the shackles and, and, yeah, kicked some heads if he had to, well, as opposed to going his, going his own well, way. I, well, I think that paints so... And I, I, before we moved on from what's the situation, I mean, there was one uh, sort of version that got painted there, which is that, you know, Mackenzie's lost control of the whole group uh, but, you know, the, the Patson was the problem between him and the group and, and, and this sort of thing. And, uh, and so, therefore, rightfully, he needed to move on. Now, that could be, that, you know, God, who knows? That could be true. I don't know. And that's one way of reading the events. I mean, I think there's been another way to read it, which is, I think, if you read between the lines of what Mackenzie's been saying, which is that, well, you know, and go back to what I was saying. Yes, there's a faction within the group, and it's an important faction, at, you know, with important roles. Um, and then, I mean, there's been an incredible briefing campaign against him. Now, you guys, and you know, as, as far as a destabilizing campaign, so at a personal level, alleging, uh, you know, uh, affairs and, and improper conduct and all sorts of things, um, and I think we'll see over, you know, if the information I've seen come through, um, you know, over weeks to come, we'll actually put a lot of that into new light. 
Um, so, but you know, but there's basically been a smear campaign that's been going on on him and also on people that um, he sees as friends as well as colleagues. Um, and that, you know, he's got a faction working within the group and a wider faction who, who are doing things like briefing the fact that they say, they're saying Jake White and Michael Checker have been approached. I mean, that's classic. That's an ALP, ALP spill written all over it, right? You know, once you destabilize them enough, you say, oh, someone's been approached. And it gives everybody, somebody, you know, uh, the opposition, some, someone to kind of rally around. So I think there's two ways of reading this. Um, and if it's, you know... Route B, which is actually there's a bunch of different things at play here, it's still kind of, you know, he feels personally that this is untenable and it's, and it's just not worth personally going on with. I, I can see that slightly differently. Add to that, let's then move on to another question here, which is, and you touched on it, Baba, is the, what the ARU and how they've managed this. Now, I hear the thing, oh, look, but we've, put a press, we've put a process in place and we've got to go to this process and it was in the wake of the Dublin thing and everything else. I'm sorry. You know, this is the fact of the mess that this has turned into and the fact that Bill Pulver is having to hold a press conference, you know, five days before they fly off an end of season two are saying, I haven't even got anything in place. I don't even know who I'm, you know, I know some people, I've got a list, but I've got no idea who the next coach is. is going to take us through to the next World Cup. Says that this situation got well ahead of them, okay? They were at no stage on top of this situation. And you can sit behind a process and say, yeah, but the process didn't let me. When you are top dog, when you are CEO, when you are running that thing, it, process be damned. Break the rules if you have to, because if you don't, you will end up where he is now. And he basically got, they got dictated by Curtly Bill's camp as far as when they want to hold this tribunal at the, end of, at, the end of, at the end of the thing. So they needed to get, even if it wasn't by, even if it, you know, even if it wasn't by sort of, sort of like process or, ultimate sanction or whatever else it is, they needed to get ahead of this and they needed to nip it in the bud, you know, somewhere up to two weeks ago. And it never happened. Um, and, you know, that, how and why, but, you know, at the end of the day, and can you imagine, for all his faults, John O'Neill letting this have happened? Well, okay, so, but the, the thing I don't understand is, look, I think ultimately the damage has been done by, by Beale sending the text. I mean, you can't walk that back. I th okay, so let's say two weeks ago, I think the moment that Bill Pulver gets up in his press conference and says, well, we've moved past the shirt thing, now we found these texts and they're deeply offensive. As soon as he says he thought they were deeply offensive, well, he'd signed Curtly's papers, he was gone. You can't, I mean, that's it. Um, so, okay, so hypothetically, if Bill Pulver sacks him then, says, Curtly, you're out, you're gone, Does, do you think this is whole situation's avoided? I'm not sure. I think, I think it, uh, certainly, look, I agree with you. I think that, that they should have been way more assertive on this, but... I think that Beale, the Beal camp, the Beal PR machine, still would have been running. After, and if he was sacked, it probably would have gotten a bit more intense. I still think the rumours get circulated, the scuttlebutt, the innuendo, all this stuff, uh, I, and, I, and the problems with the playing group are still in, ex in existence. I don't know if that, that solves the problem. Well, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, what's happening at the moment, and it's been touched on, is... You know, very clever manipulation from Beale and his and his his manager and whoever else is involved behind the scenes with this. I'm sure it's not just them um, to completely obfuscate the whole issue so that uh, somehow or other, you know, his culpability and all this is going to get diluted down. And I think that is that in itself is appalling. I think, I mean, just to have a little mini rant for a sec. I think we talked about the management structures that were in place and perhaps they were deficient since the ARU 
downgraded them for, for reasons of cost and everything else and took away the manager and then you had Di put in that position where she was fulfilling a role which was not really defined initially and trying to do it on a threadbare budget. I think it's just appalling that the media chose to gun for her and I don't think she was really adequately backed up by the ARU. Um, I know they said some things, but I think they should have been far more assertive in just knocking that on the head than they were. I think that was appalling management on their part. And I agree with Matt. I think, you know, they have been way behind this the whole way. They're chasing it the whole way. And I have to agree, I think it's been really badly handled. And I think, you know, even there's, you know, Paul was looking a little bit, you know, he's trying to come out and, and, and make some bold statements, but, you know, one day he's saying, well, he wasn't particularly happy with what Michael Hooper says. All of a sudden now he's there sitting, you know, I thoroughly endorse Michael. And it's like the whole thing to me has just been, from a management point of view, an utter shambles. And I think, unfortunately, the real bad elements behind all this um, are, are ducking a lot of the, the blame just at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Bobby, and, you, and I think I, I'm personally, I, I think, I just think, I understand, I, I, I don't, I don't have any ill feeling towards Mackenzie pulling the pin. I think there's probably other stuff that's gone on which we don't know about. And I just think from his point of view, he's, he's thought, you know what, I've got a life to live and this is just so far out of where what I should be dealing with that I'm not willing to, to put up with it anymore. I don't, I don't blame him at all. So, so, Baba, you asked me the question, if Beale had been taken out of the equation, would this have stopped? Yes. Because and I'll tell you why. If you look at the quotes from Michael Hooper, like the latest one from Georgina Robinson on Friday morning, note, very, note what he says very carefully. We just want to make sure that Kirtley isn't lost to Australian rugby. Okay? That's, a, you know, that's the direct quote from him. What he's saying there is, and this is what this is all about, what he's saying there is, if Kirtley Beale is deregistered by the ARU from Australian rugby, that would mean he can't play for the Waratahs. Okay, and that's a very interesting party. So, you know, Michael Hooper would be very interested in that. Um, Michael Checker would be very interested in that. All of Tar HQ is very, very interested in that. Um, not only that, if he's deregistered from Australian rugby, he has no negotiating power with the NRL because the NRL can say, "Well, mate, you can't play anywhere anyway, so you can have this." So that is what this is all about, and that is why this tribunal is being drawn out by these guys um, as far as they can. Um, so that they, you know, to, you know, because this is the end goal. And it's been the end goal since those texts got, got revealed because at that point, everybody in the Beale camp realised he's gone. He's, he's definitely gone. It's just whether we can walk away with that point. And the fact that Michael Hooper is telling you that in a statement, okay, um, is clear, clear as day. Now, the whole, so that's why I'm saying if that's taken off the table and the ARU and, and, and I don't know, Hooper has said... Um, Pulver said, look, I've got the lawyers in. This is egregious. In any legal, in any, you know, employment law situation, you cannot do this. I don't care what a tribute... This, this isn't about were you out late drinking. This is about harassment. You are gone, okay? And you are deregistered from Australian rugby. If he'd done that uh, more than a week ago, this is gone. Michael Hooper doesn't stand up and defend him. Nothing to defend. He's gone. Okay, you know, all these stories that were being dredged up and, and all the rest of it, they're all gone. The leaking about Mackenzie, someone else taking his job, gone as well. 
because there's nothing for that camp to, f to fight for. And that's, and that, sorry, yeah, go on. And, and that's what Pulver needed to do early on. And, I, and, I, and, and even if it, you know, put him in legal lawsuits or whatever it needed to be, something like that needed to, needed to happen. And I'm not an employment lawyer, you know, but I, you know, I do know a negotiation when I'm seeing one, and that's exactly what's going on there. So, and how is it that an employee, which is effectively what Kirtley Beale is, and his team are allowed to dictate to the employer in a disciplinary matter like this, I will come along when, it, when we're good and ready. No. I mean, yeah. I just well, I don't I get mean, that. I don't understand why they're not just saying, <laughs> Mate, here's well, the date, turn up. We don't care when you're good and ready. This is the date. You turn yeah. up. Well, if you, okay, turn, so if you we... turn up or you don't turn up, there's going to be a tribunal and you're going to be judged. I mean, I just think it's ridiculous that there's that, that any latitude's been given. I think that, as Matt said, this should have been absolutely smashed on the head, and it wasn't. Well, and it comes back to Dublin and what happened after Dublin and the growing power of the, uh, of, the of RUPA within the ARU. I, I mean, I think you look at sport generally. I mean, if you take a step back and you look at what's happened in both league and AFL lately, and I think the idea of player power is becoming more and more prominent. I mean, in the AFL, I mean, we've seen two coaches basically from the Gold Coast and the Bulldogs both sacked because the playing group decided. They just said, well, we want him out. And if you don't, and if you don't sack him, we're all walking. We're all going to get traded to, to other clubs. And I think there's an element of that here. I mean, it comes back to Dublin and the players saying, well, we don't think the process is good enough. Uh, we want a process that suits us, that, that benefits the players by giving us, A, enough time to mount a, mount a defence and B, an independent process and all this stuff. Uh, and it, and if well, if you don't do that, well, what what are we going to do? Well, we're the players; we hold all the power in this, and 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 that, that that's the show. And it's the same thing with what's happened with McKenzie. I think I just think that I mean, it's a, it seems to be a growing trend across all sports where players are are becoming more empowered and to make these decisions, like like what what happens in, in disciplinary proceedings, uh, which I which really shouldn't be their domain at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, um, that's been a good rant. Let's move on. Let's look forward. Coaching candidates um, and and what it means. So the one guy we know who's doing the rounds, Jake White. Uh, he's uh, picked up a contract with Tonga, but we all know that's not going to be worth <laughs> the paper it's written on um, if he gets a sniff of this. Um, so w what do we reckon? So, I mean, I'll kick off with this one. You know, knowing, looking at the game plan the Wallabies played last night and clearly wanted to play, okay? And let's just say... That scenario is true where McKenzie's lost the group and they've decided this is the way they're going to play, which is Waratah's game plan. Can you imagine a more opposite game plan to the one that Jake White would be comfortable bringing in? Um, and, and, and can you imagine the f what would... And knowing the sort of style he has, you know, which is my way or the highway, wow, that is one hell of a car crash, you know, coming head on, isn't it? Um, yeah, anyone, anyone disagree yeah. with that? Well, and, and no. especially after he's just been booted out of the Sharks by his own players. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing that works in his favour is he has won a World Cup. He has international experience and he has won a World Cup. And I think, you know, you'd be, you'd be inclined to think, well, at short notice, we just need someone to bind the squad together, someone with international experience. Well, he, you know, that, that's, that, that's the one thing that works in his favour. Yeah, I just, I just see that as a table car crash that's going to run for... Yeah, 18 yeah. months, and oh my yeah, god! Don't if, if you think Mackenzie didn't have the playing group, if if if, I uh, can't see that one working. Okay, other front runner, Michael Checker. So, Cyclo, what do you what do you what are your feelings on that one? Uh, well, I said it last night on, on various online places. No, um, I don't. I 
I don't think he's ready for it, and I don't think he should be given it. Um, I think if we if we look at, at the scenario of having a self-interested group within the playing group, as we've already got, and then we reinforce that with the Waratahs coach and all the other periphery that goes with that, I can't see how this is going to be in any way good for Australian rugby becoming more harmonious. It's just going to be, be divisive. Um, you touched on some, well, shall we call them issues, with, with his style earlier on in the podcast. And as you and I talked about this morning, I think, you know, and I think you're right, that, that there, it might look all very good for a short term, but in the longer term, it could be problematic. And I, at this stage, I just think it's going to probably be more harmful than good for Australian rugby in the long term. Yes, in the short term, if you're looking at the World Cup and everyone does that, he might be the coach that is most likely to deliver us a World Cup. But that doesn't mean that I think it's necessarily the right thing. And I don't really like the idea that maybe he's around only until the World Cup or just after, say, he was successful, you know, and then he's, he's off again somewhere else. I think we need more stability, more long-term structure. I think we need to look towards a, a different model with the coaching structure than we've had up to this point. And um, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's the guy. So, Hugh, though, is, is he surely he's our best chance of winning next year, isn't he? Well, see, this is the thing, Cycle. I don't disagree with your points necessarily. I think he has a reputation at the Waratahs of blowing through people like a hurricane and he's certainly put a lot of people offside in the way that he's run and in the way that he runs that teams, especially in the back office. He has a particularly abrasive style. He's inexperienced. Uh, he may well be not the ideal choice for half of the playing group, but he has just won a super rugby title. He's turned around our least you know, our biggest underperforming franchise in the and space. And European of, Cups. So I don't know whether... Yeah, it's definitely... And European experience. Cups. Yeah. And he plays the style. And the biggest thing for mine is, I just, I just can't see anyone else cycle. I mean, I, 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 I want to hear... Dave, I, I mean, I, I understand that theory. I, I can understand all the, all the flaws with him. But at the moment, for my eyes, he just seems to be the best candidate for the job. And that speaks volumes about the particular about the field we're looking at more than it does about Checker himself. Well, look, there's two questions, isn't there? There's who do I do I think he should get the job? I'm saying no. Do I think he will? I think he probably will. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying I'm not 100% happy with that outcome. I don't know that I've got a, I've got some reservations about that in the long run. Um, and and and, and, and I think to... unfortunately there there's some really good coaching candidates around who have been around Australian rugby who have, for various reasons, drifted away. Yeah. And um, that, that's true. The, the one thing that Checker has, though, that, that I just love, and I think the Wallabies look to be lacking a bit, is, is that, is that fire-up element, that, that, that the, the bind the team together in a huddle and scream at them and, and get, them, get them really going. And, and that was never Link's strong point. And, do international and, 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 need that? No, and that's true, and, and it's each to their own in coaching, but I've got to say, the way he inspired and motivated that Waratahs side um, was, was something special, and a part of me would really like to see how he does with the Wallabies, who at times, their, their weakness is, it's not getting stuck in, it's, it's, it's looking like their head somewhere else, um, because we know they've got the talent to do it, but it's just, they can come out and put on these completely hot and cold performances. Um, that was something he kind of got out of the Waratahs, whether that... 
that psych up was was the reason or not, I don't know. But I'd certainly like to see um, that element of his coaching, how that goes on on the team. Well, I me, would say me... that's more of a failing of the playing group rather than the coaching. You see, I think you know yeah. players. You know, if they need someone to come in there and wave golf clubs and go nuts at them to get them fired up, then there's a problem. Yeah. If you look at the All Blacks, yeah. I very much Let... doubt that you have somebody standing there going completely reservoir dogs at them just to get them fired up to do something. You know, I don't think that's what happens there because they have a structure. And you look at when they interviewed Fekitara after the game. He's basically saying, I just did my thing. You know, I, I made sure I was doing my job well and I knew everyone else would do their job well. That's how they've done everything for decades. That's why they do well. It's not because they've got some guy ranting and, and waving sticks at them. It's because they actually do that. They all know what they've got to do. I think inherently that the problem is more with the playing group. If they need that sort of motivation to be able to get themselves up and perform, then that's a problem. Okay. Well, let, let me jump in there. So, uh, and it might be actually in the short term that they do um, if, to get them to the point where they can actually start beating the All Blacks. But if possible, I kind of agree with both your with both positions. Um, morally, should he have it? Mm, interesting. Um, result wise, we just need to win a World Cup and get the wall. You know, the Wallabies and the AU out, out of this shit. Um, should they? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good argument. Um, the one thing I would say though is. That's one hell of a Faustian pact in front of Pulver if he takes on Checker. Um, you know, if, if he wants to know what it's like to be a CEO out of, over Michael Checker, then he might want to go and talk to the guy who just just resigned slash got boned from the Waratahs, um, Jason Allen. Um, you know, in a year where they've won the you know when they won the Super Rugby Championship. So um, if Pulver does take on Checker, I think he's got, wow, he's going to definitely need to be ahead of the ball there because uh, otherwise I think he's going to be um, uh, dragged along. So th- look, let's see, who else can we talk about then? Um, so, you know, current coaches, you know, doing well in Australian rugby. Um, so we would say, you know, Laurie Fisher, he's off over in the UK. I think he's co- coaching Gloucester, isn't it? Um, no doubt, like every coach, he'd have a clause that he could break that um, if he got offered an international job. Interestingly enough, though, I'm still not, you know, you can't say he's had the top job, right? I mean, this is, you know, actually Gloucester is his first top job. Well, no, he had the Brumbies' top job at, yeah. at what, in the 2007, 2008, yeah, somewhere, and, 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 and didn't do particularly well. And the wheels came off, right? So as much as I love him, I, I would love to see him as our Ford's coach. Um, yes. Not our top coach. Same thing, Stephen Larkin. Um, only, no. only just taken the top job. For the for the Brumbies, that's looking a bit too green behind the ears, I think. Yeah. Um, for an international uh, spot, um, uh, you know, <laughs> Tony. Okay, so then you go Tony McGann. Well, uh, experience within the Wallaby structure, but really the Rebels came last this year, so I don't think that's that's going to happen. The other option I had was Jim Mackay. Mm. Whether you whether you promote an existing assistant, which kind of uh, I'm I, I'm warming towards because it. He's been around for donkey's years. He knows that structure, and he, he's the best for maintaining the status quo, which I don't think is is going badly. Yeah. Well, although he's and, a, he, and you and you bring in someone under him as as a as, a, as an assistant. He's a, he's a link bring in though, right? So if um, I don't know if there are factions yeah, and stuff true. going on, then that's an interesting one. So here's one that from left field came out on Twitter last night from uh, Kondo, who is a Kiwi, uh, best. Coach probably in the world going that you could get at the moment who's not coaching internationally, Wayne Smith. How's that for, how's that for size? 
I mean, if you're considering Jake White, okay, if, if, if Jake White's in the mix, he's not Australian. Um, Wayne Smith, uh, coaches, you know, you know, the teams he's been coaching have been playing pretty, uh, pretty dynamic ball-in-hand style. Um, why wouldn't he fit? Well, because he's New Zealander. And, and <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what I necessarily think, but that's why he wouldn't fit if, if it came to that. Um, and I think the Robbie okay. Deans um, ex- experiment, if you want to call it that, would have left a lot of people with a sour taste in their mouth, and and not for the fact that he was a Kiwi. The thing about, I mean, anyone that kind of has a detailed understanding of rugby knows that the reason why Dean's fail wasn't just because he was a Kiwi. But there are plenty of people out there that think that was the reason. And Pulver runs the risk of, by appointing Wayne Smith, maybe Jake White as well, is that he's behind in the PR battle before he even begins, because there's a big portion of the rugby fan base that'll go, oh, Another Kiwi. What's wrong with What's wrong with Michael Checker? What's wrong with the Australian coaches? What's wrong with these guys? Um, and I'm not sure if Paul was brave enough. Mm. Well, look. So I think we're out. I think we're, I mean, you know, sure, I'm sure we can pull in you know, some other w- worthy candidates, but I'm not seeing Scott Johnson. I mean, geez, if you've got a divided player group and who's you know who are a bit of ahead of themselves, I'm not sure he's the. Not sure he's the guy. Um, so anyway, answers on a postcard. If anyone's got an obvious candidate we're missing, throw in the comment or tweet us or do something like that. I mean, the last thing I'd just say on, if I was Michael Checker and it got offered to me, I would take it. I would take the deal on the table because here's the other thing about the, the Checker style. It can work for so long, right? And then you start to get to the point where you have to cut players or players start not performing or just stuff happens, right? You can't win every year. Um, can you keep that sustained? And I'm not sure you can. And, and um, so, you know, I would think he's in a fantastic position right now. He knows that playing group. They've just won. They're performing. Um, he's got, you know, and it's a good players. There's, a, you know, some good talent in there. If I was him, I'd take it. And before you know it, one year you've won the Super Rugby, next year you've won, or you've, you've had a shot at winning the World Cup. Um, and I would take that deal. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But anyway, um, I think we should wrap that up, guys. We've had a good old rant. Unless there's any major issue you're missing, Hugh. No, I think I think we've Dave. we've done it. I've exhausted. I think we've we've. I don't know if we've got any closer to to resolution. But I think we'll forward this to Bill Porver in any case. Just yeah. to let him know. I'm, was, I'm sure he's already he'll already download it. Well, it was cath- it was cathartic for us. I hope it was cathartic for you guys uh, and ladies who are listening. I'm sure you've got opinions. Drop them in the comments. Um, let us know what you think, and we, we can have a chat there. Uh, probably a, another podcast later in the week. Um, we'll see what happens. But um, anyway, strap in. It's going to be an interesting ride over the next few days. So um, yeah, have, have uh, a good rest of the weekend. Thanks, fellas. Cheers, Cheers mate. Guys. Bye. Yeah, right there, right there.